What will happen to Australia and Australian housing in the next 10 to 20 years? In this episode, I'll be looking at a demographic view of what will go on. Seven charts I've taken from Bernard So all the credit goes to him, for Commonwealth Bank private banking clients, which I am. So I have access to these charts. I plucked the best seven and I'm sharing it here with you all. It's not really that well known. And so you guys are probably the first outside of that private banking community to see them. If you're interested in an inside scoop as to what the Australian market will do over the next 10 to 20 years, then stick around. Welcome to the Oz Property Investment Mastery Podcast. My name's PK and I help busy people build passive income by buying top 5% growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. 1954 versus 2021 and 2040 projection, the population of the 20 biggest cities in Australia. So unsurprisingly, it was Sydney, number one, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth in 1954. Newcastle, Hobart, Wollongong, Geelong and Launceston came a very close in the top 10. Now, it's very interesting, like since that time, you would have thought, hey, Sydney's the biggest capital city, its house prices grow the most. Actually, since that time, Launceston, which is down at number 10, with a population of only 49,000, that has grown way more in terms of property price growth than Sydney. I've done other videos where I've showed that chart and how it's basically kept up with Sydney, if not a little bit tipped it. So what does that tell us? It shows that it's not just the biggest cities that grow the most. But nonetheless, you can cast your eyes down and see what the other big cities are. You might actually find that those areas that you thought were actually kind of little rural towns are actually one of the biggest places in Australia, even in 2021. Like who would have thought Cairns was number 14. Who would have thought Townsville was number 13, right? Like we don't think these things, but this is what the data says. Now going forward, which is the most important and interesting thing, Sydney is projected to grow, of course, from 4.26 million to 6.56 million. Melbourne is looking to overtake it. And everyone talks about, oh, hey, look, we shouldn't invest in Melbourne. It's going to become the biggest city, et cetera, et cetera. I've already proven that just because it's a big city doesn't mean it grows the most in terms of house prices. But what does reflect house price growth or what does have a causation is the proportion by which population grows. To give you an analogy, if you drop a rock into a big ocean, you can, I mean, it obviously has an impact on the volume of that ocean or the volume of that water body, but it's kind of insignificant. You take that same little rock and you drop it into a bathtub, like it actually has an impact, right? You can see the ripples, you can see the water level going up. So what does that mean? It means that the same population growth in a big city has less of an impact 
on house prices than the same population growth on a smaller city. What we're looking for is percentage rise in population. And where you're seeing that the most, places like Gold Coast, okay? Gold Coast population growth is expected to be 37 or 38% over the next 19 or so years. Whereas Sydney's is only expected to be 25%. So tell me, where should you put your housing money, housing bets right now? But nonetheless, obviously over the long term, population is what drives demand, demand for housing. And we can see that in the top 20 locations across Australia in 2021, all of them are expected to increase a lot in the next 19 years, some less so than others. For example, Launceston is not that crash hot. So this is something you need to be aware of when choosing the right location to buy. Let's dive a bit deeper. Three generational peaks of Australia's post-pandemic world. So this is up-to-date population data. It's not like pre-pandemic and being reused for some analysis right now. What's showing is that in 20, 23, the population of Australia is 26.7 million. The expected population in 2032 will be 29.9 million. The change is 3 million, okay? So demand is going up. There will be no, more houses required. Everyone knows that building and supply is just not keeping up. House prices obviously, obviously systemically are going to rise. But what this is more interestingly showing is that in 10 years' time, in 2032, what will be the biggest age brackets by distribution and so what it's showing is that the biggest age bracket the most people in Australia will be around 22 years of age that's the first sort of camel's hump so to speak and now obviously these people require apartment living Okay, a lot of these are incoming students. That is the lion's share of why this is the biggest or tallest um, hump of the camel, so to speak. So there needs to be built more and more student accommodation. Now, we know that, that student accommodation can be transient, can be easily impacted. We know apartments can lose value very easily because there is unlimited supply in the air, in the sky. You can build up, 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 up. There is unlimited zoning that will allow you to build more and more stories. Therefore, there's no scarcity in that real estate. I'm trying to put a real estate investors, you know, property investors hat on here. The most important thing that I want to share in this is the millennial families, okay? So the second tallest hump for the camel is those that are millennials, but in 10 years time, the average age will be 47. These people right now are 37, okay? So they're like first home buyers, you know, they're probably... I don't know, they're like just entering the property market or maybe they're still renting. Of course, it's, that's just a generalization. But in 10 years time, they will well and truly be owning their first home. And now there's a famous saying that the property that you buy in your 40s is the most expensive property that you will ever buy. And this is going to be even more the case in Australia in 10 years' time. So think about where will millennials, okay, that have now grown up in 10 years' time, average age of 47, they'll have young kids by that time, you know, very prosperous in their double income careers. Where will they want to live? Now, of course, capital city or not capital city, that doesn't matter because millennials are all over regional Australia as well, but they will need that full house House. They're not going to be requiring apartments. They'll need three, four bedroom with one or two children, maybe more, a little bit of a back. You know, we'll get to that. 
But that is the kind of property that you should be investing in now because that is what will be in most demand and the most prosperous people will be spending the most money on that type of dwelling in 10 years time. So think about what demand will be in 10 years time and buy a property accordingly now. That is how to make money. And see, it's not the tallest hump of the camel, but it's definitely the widest the elderly, okay? We definitely have a lot of people becoming more and more older. The baby boomers, the first wave of the baby boomers will be on average 86 years of age. There is a lot of money to be made in aged care. Now, I don't invest in any aged care. I can't recommend you do that. I've done videos on like SDA, NDIS and things like that, but never retirement homes or anything like that. But if you can figure out a way to make money in that right now, you'll do very well in 10 years time. Now, this next chart, I want to talk about a very interesting concept called inequality. It's not a fun thing to talk about. I think it's necessary to talk about it. So all the way up to 1966, throughout World War One, during the, the Great Depression of the late 20s and early 30s, during World War Two, all the way up to 1966, there were more and more people in Australia owning their homes. So peak ownership was achieved in 1966, okay? That just means the number of people owning versus renting. That means the country was getting prosperous, not just for some, but for the average or for the majority of people. Those were golden years. Since that time, it took a massive plunge right here, and then it started to go up a little bit. But since sort of the early 90s, late 80s, home ownership has been on the steady decline. Now, of course, in the last one or two years, or rather five years, home ownership has been slightly experiencing an uptick. But was that because of lowering and low interest rates? You can make up your mind. But the overall trend in the last, let's say, 50 years is quite evident downwards. And I think this is because of inequality. Now, no longer does the social, perhaps political, economic framework and structure in Australia support the average middle class person. It's now supporting you know, the people at both ends of the spectrum, not the majority in the middle. And so therefore, you have rising inequality. You have the government taking more and more care of people who really need it. They're obviously allowing the, the well-to-do to prosper through a meritocratic system, through capitalist system. But what that means is that the middle class is close to evaporating and therefore more and more renters are having to be so and therefore home ownership is reducing. So I don't have the answers, but the question back to you guys who are watching, uh, which side of the equation do you want to be on? This trend is probably going to continue as interest rates rise or stay at these elevated levels. Do you want to be on the side that perpetually is stuck in the nine to five and renting? And I don't mean rent vesting here, but just renting or do you want to be on the side that is actually prospering you can't have both in this postmodern capitalistic society the middle class is not being served and so what kind of home should you buy you know that will serve people now and in the future from a democratic perspective how will you maximize your opportunity for capital growth well Work from home, WFH, is likely to retain a hybrid version. Now, 
1996, 2001, 2006, 2011, 2016, you know, work from home was kind of averaging at around, let's say, 5%. Like with COVID, work from home, it elevated, it spiked, it jumped to 21%. In fact, in Melbourne, it was like 39%. In Sydney, it was 29%. Nationally, it was 21%. You know, Bernard Salt reckons that the long-term average won't quite remain this high as a lot of companies start to recall their workers back into the office, but it will be at around 15%. Okay, in 2026, which means a decent 10 percentage point increase on the long term average. What does that mean for us property investors? It means that we don't want to buy apartments. We want to buy homes that have a Zoom room, have spaciousness, have enough bedrooms and office, enough space so that the mum and dad, so to speak, can both work from home or at least have the ability to do that once or twice a week. The kids have the ability to do that as they go through high school. They'll need to also utilize their computers and technology much, much more. So we need space, you know, although household sizes are decreasing, the amount of space that those people require is increasing. And that's a very important intel or insight for property investors to cater and, and find and buy the right type of dwelling that people will want in the future. Speaking of in the future, let me demonstrate once again from Bernard why land matters. Okay, so back in 1960, around here, okay, you'd have a thousand square meter block, you know, a big block of land. Majority of it would just be land, like a backyard to play in. You'd have one of these old school clothing lines that go around in a circle, okay? And you'd have like the living room at the front and when guests come, they don't really see any bedrooms. They don't see any of your like kitchen. All they stay is in the entertaining or in the living room at the front. Now fast forward to today, what you have is people entering into the front and actually all the bedrooms are at the front. You actually take them all through your house to the alfresco at the back or the kitchen entertaining patio area at the back. And so what has happened is that there's a need for that whole house to be presentable. You have an EV charger in the garage. You have all of these bedrooms that you retain or remain open, the doors of which so that people can see. You know, you have fancy pillows, or six of them Bernard talks about. Everything is there to please the guest, to impress the guest down to the kitchen. You know what you want, that marble stone bench top. You have a butler's kitchen where all the actual cooking happens. The real kitchen is just for show, so to speak. The house has transformed from what it used to be to what is in demand now. And you just notice the land, okay? The, now the land, even though this picture looks bigger, is actually on average across Australia about 500 to 600 square meters. So what has happened is that the land content has reduced in terms of demand to just five or 600 and the build or the built up area is higher spec. Now, I'm not saying that you should buy properties with low land content and you know overcapitalize on the build. But what I am saying is this trend will continue as per the demographic pro projections. And so if you can buy a piece of land or buy a site, a property like this, you know, a 20, 30, 40, 50 year old property that's still in good nick, good bones, then you can establish amazing value on that property. Because in the future, someone's gonna want this thousand meters land and they're gonna subdivide it and entertain this sort of concept which will be in demand. So land always rises in value. It's buildings that depreciate. What we want is the land of one of these old houses so that we can build two 
of these houses. <laughs> now just to light the fire a little bit and create more of a burning platform, what in this chart is the loss of faith in institutions creating a demand for authenticity. This chart shows the amount of people, the voting public, that have voted for non-major parties in Australia. Okay, and when people vote for non-major parties, i.e. not the Liberals and not Labour, that shows that they're discontent with the current economic, social and political frameworks that they are being oppressed or contained or influenced by. Okay, so a lot of this discontentment was for obvious reasons around World War One, the Great Depression, obviously no one's got a job, everyone's unhappy, and World War Two. And then you had this massive prosperous period, not just in Australia, like from 1950 to about 1980, not just in Australia, but in UK and um, the US and other basically advanced Western nations. But just like the US, what you're seeing in Australia is a clear trend where people are becoming more and more disillusioned by the system in which they're working. You know, the nine to nine where they're working five days or six days a week just to enjoy one day a week. They're going to work for 11 hours a day to enjoy one hour a day. No one's happy with that anymore. The inequality is rising. The tension of disparity between the haves and have-nots is increasing. The friction between different opinions is rising. And so what does all this mean for property investors? Well, it's a long bow and I'm not an expert at this, but it just for me in my own mind shows that no one else is going to take care of you except you. The government doesn't care about you. Your employer is <laughs> thinks you're just a statistic. Maybe even your extended family and friends, they're not gonna be there when you really need it. In this postmodern world, you are your best friend and you are your best family member. So take care of your own finances for yourself, by yourself. No one cares about you, I can say financially at least, as much as you care about yourself. Not even me, right? Like no one is a saint um, that's just going around being charitable to other people. So in this kind of political or zeitgeist that we're experiencing in the world, in Australia right now, there's an even more need to take control of your finances because in 10 years time, there's no one else to blame but you. In 20 years time, if you're not happy in your financial environment, there's no one to blame except you. Guys, I hopefully that was valuable. Like I said, that was all from Bernard. So I hope that you're able to action this. You may or may not disagree with a bunch of stuff I said. A lot of this is subjective, but the core moral of the story is that property will continue to be prosperous over the next 10 to 20 years, although you need to be selective and careful how you invest it. And I think the other moral of the story was that you really need to take control of your finances. If you want to do that, you can level up completely for free. Here's the plug, right? I'll leave links below to my Facebook community with more than 30,000 amazing members. They are Australian Property Mastery with PK and really utilize that content, right? To up level and don't let anyone take control of your finances because no one cares about them as much as you. I'll see you next time. See you later, guys.